Welcome back to Night School, episode 24, The Poems of Emily Dickinson, part two. Looks like today we're going to be looking at surgeons must be very careful and faith is fine invention and possibly a third, which I will not say yet unless we get to it. And uh, again, welcome back, my esteemed colleague, Mr. Wesley Schatz. Welcome back. Thanks. It's good to be back this evening and uh, looking at this here. Short, short poem, number 156 on the numbering there. Surgeons must be very careful. All right. And again, we're getting to this through the Poetry Foundation website, poetryfoundation.org. And this is the Emily Dickinson 101 uh, page with some good information. And that's uh, what we are going down now. Uh, so, Wes, the floor is yours. Oh. Gosh, I don't even know if I can do this. I'll, I'll be, I'll do my best. Uh, surgeons must be very careful when they take the knife. Underneath their fine incisions stirs the culprit life. Well, it's, it's very funny. Um, just on a personal note, my girlfriend does happen to be a surgeon. So funny to be interpreting a, a poem like this while she does happen to be at work at night. And so I hope she is being very careful. And so let's see, we have here, um, we have a one stanza poem, a quatrain, I believe is what these four line poems are called. Is that correct, Wes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we have a simple rhyme scheme, A, B, C, B. Uh, and if you, you listen carefully, you hear what I'm doing there. You change the letter as the rhyme does not change, but then you revert back to the letter that shares the rhyme. So A, B, C, and then if there were no rhyme, that last line would be D. But since it rhymes with B, it is also B, so A, B, C, B. Um, and if we, if we had Mino here, I could say, do you see? Do you see? But um, I think that's useful for somebody to know if they're interested in that aspect of poetry, which is an aspect of poetry, which I think is often taught. And so well worth knowing. All right, and underneath their fine incisions, so we're cutting, uh, stirs the culprit, culprit here capitalized, life. And so, um, well, I guess the real trick of this poem is what, what does that mean? Underneath their fine incisions, why is life a culprit? Culprit meaning something like someone who is a fugitive from the law, someone un, something unruly. And so is the idea that surgeons are people who divide up the world by dividing up people who, who sort of have a, who sort of seem to act as if they know enough, enough meaning something close to everything, whereas that which moves beneath their attempts at binding and defining and cutting into reality is uh, that which is undefinable, that which is ineffable life. Um, I suppose there's also a sort of jokingly negative way to read this poem too, as if what surgeons are attempting to do is, is to, uh, I don't know, take life. Uh, that it, if it's the culprit, it's, it's that which needs to be gotten rid of, but I don't know why that would be a surgeon rather than, say, 
like an officer of the law or something like that. I'm not sure. Wes, what do you make of this? Yeah, no, it's um, it's so short and so compact that I I'm very wary of saying much about it. Um, but I'll I'll. This is what I thought about the culprit thing. Yeah, that does seem to be the the kind of crux of the whole thing here. Um, that the culprit is named life, right? Um, and their job as surgeons, right, as doctors, is to promote and maybe save lives. And so they have to be very careful when they, when they do their incisions, right? Um, and they, I think, uh, are, are prone to, as you say, losing sight of their kind of place in things because what amazing power to, to stand over someone with a knife and have their life kind of in your hands, right? Um, so that, I think that that element is certainly there. I mean, that's sort of like the first line, right? Um, a kind of admonition, a, um, an exclamation of like awe at, their, at, the, at how careful they must be um, because, and then the second couplet there kind of gives the reason, underneath their fine incisions. Um, so fine here, right? That's what this poem is. It's, it's small, it's very delicate, it's very careful um, because underneath of it stirs the culprit life. That thing which I suppose in some sense, yeah, is, is guilty for whatever ill might have brought this person to the surgeon in the first place, right? Like they wouldn't be there if they weren't alive. Um, so in some tortured sense, that, that's, that's the reason, that's the cause or the, the culprit for, for them being under the knife. Um, yeah. But, but this, in the poem sense, right, this poem is the incision upon that sort of sea of, of meaning and, and conceptual, like, vagueness, I guess, um, which has caused her to write it, you know, like, inspired her, whatever. So, so it's sort of the culprit in that sense of being the, the cause. That's the best I can do with that. I, yeah, I don't know I, whether there's a kind of joke there, maybe, but yeah, what I do you think? You might have given me the key, and potentially there's a, a sort of existentialism underlying this, just like we, we saw in Walt Whitman with uh, life here being sort of the major feature. And, and again, I would like to know whether this edition italicizes this word or whether it's italicized in one of the original published editions. But what I think she's saying here is that she, as a wordsmith, is a surgeon and is cutting out a small slice of being or reality and is imposing it now or, or is proposing it so that other subjective beings can observe it. And that um, what she must be careful with what little she shows, because what she shows is so utterly valuable, the most valuable thing, life. And so when you cut out a small part of life or being in your articulated expression, you should be very careful about um, how you express it, because you, you are essentially doing sort of mental surgery and that you are helping somebody to modify their map by offering them information in the same way they are doing with you. And that is, that is even finer work than physical surgery in some way or another. Or, or precisely because it involves principles. Sorry, 
no, just no, I'm just agreeing. I mean, the idea that in some sense we are uh, mental surgeons uh, is a real it's a real daunting one um, for me anyhow. Um, it sort of connects back with the thing we were talking about a while ago about you know certifications for teaching, right? Yes. Um, in that sense, yeah, you'd want someone to to do a certification and more so maybe to take an oath, you know, the Hippocratic oath to do no harm. Um, some form of that might be good to have teachers take as well. You know, I completely agree. Um, I think the more the more oaths, the better. I, I more and more think that the responsibilities one binds oneself to are those which are are those arbitrary institutions which bring out the best in man. And certainly I've seen that to be the case with me. Whenever I'm pursuing something, it makes me better or it brings out the best in me, um, even, even if I don't become the best at it. And I think that's sort of the point. Um, but also sort of the point here um, of practicing what it is we're practicing that, um, um, you know, obviously surgeons have come very far, also poets in this way to the degree that we can be surgical with our poetry, right? Even the fact of our language as articulated as it is with all these small parts and, you know, very different from ancient Greek, which was originally written all uppercase, no spaces between the words and thus no punctuation meant to be read out loud. The fact that we could read this in our heads and we understand what it all means. And it's talking about, uh, you know, surgeons have always been around but in the way we think about them with the knife, they haven't been around really that long, at least in evolutionary time. And that, that we with our words and thoughts reflect sort of the state of the medical art or the science of our age. And, and well, look at us right now. Look at this small slice of life. Aren't we interesting? I hope so. Well, so, uh... We shall, we shall move on then to faith. Please. And, you know, it's good to be reading faith as fine invention just because, uh, just because it is the December season. And a couple of things about that is, you know, it's a time of celebration, of course, because of Christmas and uh, also for teachers getting off Christmas. Um, but also because this is my one year anniversary of starting a podcast and I've done uh, 178 or 179 of them now. And, now another with Wes, and it seems like we're celebrating all the time these days, Wes, new accomplishments. And that alone, I think, is reason to do this. We had our, what, 100th episode total, and then this, and then uh, plenty more good things to come, I think. Um, yeah, it, is, it has been a lot of fun. It is a lot of fun. And we have very festive kind of season here. So, yeah, very fitting. And how, yeah. it, how it relates is that the three theological virtues, faith, hope and love will figure prominently in my purgatorial lectures in the next two days because they will figure prominently in the uh, celebratory parade in the purgatorial, which I will explain in detail. And I don't, I don't think there's anything that exists like that right now, but there will be. Um, so have faith. Um, but the three theological virtues are represented by the colors red, green, and white, which are, if you see Hershey's kisses at the communion store right now, all in red, green, and white or silver for their colors. And you'll notice those are the Christmas colors, right? Green, red, and gold are the white lights that things have. And so faith, which is pure, is represented by white. It's that white light. Uh, hope is green, 
because it's ever uh, rejuvenating, like Christ or Dionysus. And uh, love, which is better defined as sacrifice or charity, is red because of because giving your blood for something, or more abstractly, your time and effort, is uh, is the the greatest way to express your love. And so I'm glad to be talking about faith here within the, that Christmas and Dantist uh, context. Well, yeah, I think she's got a rather a rather interesting take on it. So go go ahead and read it and we'll see what we make of it. Yeah, I'm very, very interested in this. Faith is a fine invention for gentlemen who see but microscopes are prudent in an emergency. <laughs> yeah, I think this one's definitely got a pretty prominent humorous slant to it. Um, yep, same same rhyme scheme, same uh, rhythm, more or less. Um, and she he's got again an italicized uh, end word there, but it comes in the in the middle in the turn uh, of the of the quatrain there, right? So. She contrasts a gentleman who see, right, with um, people who might be more prudent and uh, need uh, need help, right, um, in an emergency, right. So the faith uh, being an invention in the first place, I think, should kind of put us on our toes. Um, that this this thing called faith, this so-called faith, because it's in scare quotes there, has been invented or, or you know, sort of discovered, I guess, um, for gentlemen who see. Uh, we take it as she, the speaker, doesn't consider herself one of those people. Um, she doesn't share their uh, optimistic uh, faith or their sort of certainty that they see, you know, with that, that emphasis there. Um, she's more, I guess, skeptical, but maybe not so much skeptical as, as she says, prudent, you know, sort of careful. Again, this, this concept of being, uh, well, I guess just sort of stepping back as well and viewing things with a bit more distance um, because the tool, the microscope, right, lets you get right up into the, 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 close, um, the close view of something, uh, which is, like evidence based <laughs> and you can like stand aside and let someone else look through the same microscope right it's not like faith which is so um subjective and uh, in interior to people and sort of insular in a way um and I, I i'm struck too by the by the the time when microscopes are prudent is in emergencies i mean i think that that's when faith is really handy too maybe faith without the square scare quotes around it but um but I would agree, you know, I like having microscopes as well as um, surgeons who know what they're doing um, when, when I need my medical treatment, you know, or, or whatever uh, it might be. I, I, I trust a person who knows how to use those um, sorts of inventions, maybe more so than someone who's just It's just sorry, Wes. Do we still have you there? 
I'm here. Yeah, I I didn't hear. I saw. I got like a little bit cut in and out. I just uh, I heard you stop with. Uh, you might trust somebody good with those instruments more than someone. Someone with faith, in quotes. Okay. Yeah, I see a lot in these lines. I see definitely a tension between the first two lines and the last two, and also a tension shared uh, in one of the poems that we read last time, where we saw the tension between sort of religious and scientific language, though she was sort of joking in her tone. But again, that seems to be something present in the 19th century American consciousness. But what's interesting is that faith seems to be okay for a time when you think you understand what's going on around you. That's when you can have gentlemen, right? When men can act like wearing like capes and big hats is the most important thing possible and not like going to war or something terrible or, you know, dealing with like the, the aftermath of some horrible flood or disease. But when things are just going good, when things are very going well, is how I would say it. But um, when things are, you know, uh, it seems like faith here is supposed to be sort of the veneer that covers the everyday life when things are going according to plan. But in an emergency, which literally means when, you know, when a, an anomaly emerges, when, when something comes out from the ground, when something appears like Godzilla on the, uh, on the ocean front, um, when something unexpected happens and you, figure out in that sort of Mino moment that you do not know what's going on, then the tools of science become very useful. And it seems as if she's trying to sort of answer the tension between faith and microscopes or faith and science and saying that faith is what you use in times when you think you understand. Science is what you use in times when you know you don't understand. Um, and there also seems to be sort of a Miltonic element here or a Galilean element that there, there is that first a tension between faith and the use of a, an object that will help us to see the objective world better, like the telescope for Galileo, which famously, at least in a play, uh, the, uh, the Catholic priests refused to even look through because they had their good Aristotelian logic. Um, <laughs> so they didn't need to look through that silly uh, telescope, which seems funny to us now, but sort of interesting to think through. But um, yeah, I, but I, I do wonder to what extent the more advanced uh, interpretation is that uh, faith is good at one time, whereas science or empirical efforts is good at another. Yeah, I, I, see, I see that a lot in um, sort of wanting to get to sort of keep uh, an older or a more traditional way of seeing things alongside a more modern and uh, objective or whatever way of seeing things. I think it's interesting to me that even the word faith, she puts in quotes though. And to me that, that makes me suspect that she really is much more aligning herself with the the scientists and the microscope side of this, um, that she might not really uh, trust or believe in the faith that these gentlemen claim that they have in the first place, right? Um, it strikes me that, you know, the scientific viewpoint seeking for evidence 
of so-called faith is going to have a hard time accomplishing that with an instrument like a microscope, right? It's because it's not physical <laughs> in that way. Uh, it's not prone to being um, cut into with the scalpel, you know, or, or whatever. Um, and, and I think there's sort of a difference, as you say, a difference in levels between the kind of seeing that you do with faith and the kind of prudent um, inspection that you do with, with microscopes. Um, those, there, there's something very, very different about those two forms of, of perception. Um, the example of Galileo is a really interesting one, like the, the telescope. Um, I, I don't know if she's got a poem about telescopes somewhere, but you know she's she's interested in stars, as we saw in the other poems. So um, that sort of question about the cosmos and and people's place in it, which was so so big in Whitman, I, I think is definitely there in its own way um, with Dickinson here too. Well, it's interesting two other ways too. I think because of course microscopes are the obvious invention in this in this um, poem. That obviously microscopes are invented, but what she draws our attention to is the fact that there, without humans, there are no faith. There is no faith. So obviously, faith is a a deep, a deeply ground concept within the human consciousness. And what faith seems to be is the ability to project oneself into the future and to take the steps necessary and make the sacrifices necessary along that path in order to achieve that future. And so you can see that when everything is going okay and right. But once things go off, off book, out of book, and get out of hand, and emergent properties enter the situation, anomalies, these microscopes, you know, you're going to have to figure things out. Again, faith will not be enough, I think, is part of what this is saying. And I, and I see less of a tension between and between these uh, these two concepts and these two ways of being as antagonists and more as complements um that sort of faith is like what allows you to be conscientious in the pursuit of a goal whereas microscopes are what help you adapt to immediate reality when things go off track sort of like i don't know the difference between being able to follow through on a plan and being able to adapt to a situation And do you see a distinction between faith, simply faith, and faith in quote marks? Or see, how do you read because, that? Well, the interesting thing about that is the very fact of being able to use language and having the printed word and having mechanisms for publishing and, and for spreading the written word. And for the fact, and you know, the, uh, the structures that have to be in place that make it possible for a gentleman to exist we can then walk in a lawful society safely without weapon to a church, which is allowed and barbarians don't sack immediately just does strike me as such a nested, um, uh, sort of, uh, I don't know, uh, din of inventions and things made, uh, and that, that actually exists. Like, I wonder to what extent faith is sort of a concept that, that draws specific actions into it. And that, well, I, just to I just say it in the weirdest way possible, I suppose, but it, it's just that I don't see it as the shallow sort of faith is not real and God is not real and nothing matters, sort of superficial nihilist 
claim of of what faith is that sort of scientist uneducated in the humanities dismissal of that way of thinking as if it is in some way inferior to empiricism rather than different and literary in nature um yeah i think i agree with everything you said when faith is not in quote marks like this but when someone puts faith in quote marks like this i i hear this like lilt in their voice like faith is a fine invention for gentlemen who see right so it's like the, i think that there is a dismissive tone in this poem at least of um maybe not faith itself but of the you know sort of conventional forms which it takes in um you know lots and lots of times in history including i think dickinson well, possibly so. I mean, faith as manifested in how in its practiced form, and especially in her sort of immediate surrounding, possibly if that's the way that she's using that word, um, like the gatherers within a faith. And I do agree that she is drawing attention to the word faith by putting parentheses around it, and and that there is a jaunting and lilting tone to this poem. Um, uh, but I think because of that sort of limerick-like lilting and tilting tone, it makes it a little bit less clear to me what is being made fun of or criticized. Because it seems by nature of the tone itself, everything in there is being, everything in the poem is being sort of joked at. Though faith does have the special distinction of uh, the parentheses, the scarecrows that then are paralleled with the last word in the sentence, uh, the italicized C, suggesting that that scene is in some way different. Um, yes, these short poems are very difficult. Well, yeah, I mean, a lot rides on every little thing um, and you can sort of get pretty far afield by just like doing a little bit of wiggling with one or two things. I think of them like a, if you play Jenga, you know, and you, you're going to place your Jenga piece right there um, in the one spot where it can possibly go, you know, that's like writing a, a short poem. It's got to have everything just so and interpreting it, you know, it's kind of. Well, you know, it's interesting too, because the those very pieces word, and starting to stack them and stack them. And right. You know, that's interesting too. Just, you remind me the word prudent is uh, one of the four cardinal virtues, prudence. And in my lecture uh, in two days, on the divine procession at the top of the purgatorio, the four cardinal virtues will be represented and one will be a person with three eyes. And because the, the wise are those who see the past, the present and the future. And so it's just very interesting having that language alongside microscopes here. And, you know, and along the word see and the word faith and, you know, what the relationship between sort of practical wisdom, worldly wisdom, Prudent, supposedly, according to Alan Watts, it shares a root with pro-video, with providence. So that I, I feel like I also detect in her, like with Whitman, sort of that, that conscious or unconscious interplay. There's something, there's something present in the language. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, All right, uh, so I 
I think we'll leave the overgrown bicunning moss for the next one. And then uh, I think a few, a few more religious poems and poems about poems, I suppose, are coming up after that. So. All right. Well, great. Can't wait. More Dickinson to come. All right. Till then, take care.